this is Kevin Dobbs, Associate Editor with Natural Gas Intelligence. Welcome to the Hub and Flow Podcast. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI as we are commonly called, is an independent news and price reporting agency focused on natural gas and LNG in the Americas, primarily the United States, Canada, and Mexico. I'm joined today by my colleague and NGI Associate Editor Andrew Baker, who covered Joe Biden's presidential campaign. He continues to follow the president-elect, focusing on his policy proposals for the natural gas sector and the energy industry broadly. These are very early days for Biden. He does not officially move into the White House until January. And in the interim, President Trump is contesting election results that show Biden with more than enough votes to claim an electoral college win. Biden has big ambitions, not the least of which is a $2 trillion plan to combat what the president-elect has called the devastating effects of climate change. There's a lot to cover. So with that, welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Kevin. Good to be here. Great. Well, let's lay the foundation here. With respect to oil and gas, what has Biden promised to do in terms of regulations and executive actions? Well, I think two of the biggest proposals that have sort of captured the attention of of the industry and observers like us are his stated intentions to ban new drilling on, on federal acreage, including both offshore and onshore, and also his his proposals for tax reform. And I'd like to start with the drilling ban because, as you know, this would affect a sizable amount of oil and gas production in the United States. A mm-hmm. recent report by Moody's Investors Service tagged it at 20% of total oil and gas supply in 2019, coming from federal property, both offshore and onshore. Now, in the onshore segment, this would primarily be affecting areas such as New Mexico and the Permian Basin, where most oil and gas activity is conducted on, on federal leaseholds. Wyoming as well has a major share of production coming from federal lands. Obviously, the offshore Gulf of Mexico would see a big impact in, in terms of oil. And then on the natural gas side, this it would be more onshore acreage being affected. Now, it's important to note that if Biden were to follow through on this plan, the effects probably wouldn't be seen for, for some time um, on the production side of things. A recent Wood McKenzie report estimated that a ban on new federal leasing, if it were made permanent, would mean that by 2035, we'd be seeing about a 30% reduction in, in U.S. offshore oil and gas production. And then as far as the tax plan, that's another one that has sort of a proposal that's caught the attention of of the industry. Biden's tax proposal includes a plan to raise the corporate tax rate to 28% from 21%. And he has also emphatically stated that he would like to end tax incentives for oil and gas companies. And one specific tax incentive that has benefited the industry has been the, the ability to deduct IDCs, which stands for intangible drilling costs. And for example, in ConocoPhillips' most recent earnings call, their uh, management said that this could potentially have a significant impact on on them. So those are two of the proposals that come to mind immediately. Mm -hmm. Great. And this, of course, then feeds into the larger uh, transition to uh, that Biden envisions. Maybe we could just talk a little bit about that um, before we move on to, to other things. Certainly. Yeah. And so as as you know, from following this campaign, I mean, it's hard to imagine two candidates who are more diametrically opposed on on energy issues. Biden mm-hmm. has repeatedly stated that he views climate change as an existential threat. 
and that he would rejoin the Paris Climate Accord on, on day one of his presidency. And we saw, we saw Biden unveil recently a $2 trillion infrastructure and climate change plan that would be by far the most ambitious of any U.S. president that we've ever seen. A few highlights from this plan, you know, it, it envisions uh, a carbon-free power sector by, by 2035, along with the installation of, I think, 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations throughout the country, and it targets a, a net zero carbon emissions economy by the year 2050. So we'd be talking about really a transformation of our energy system and possibly our economy as a whole if Biden were able to follow through on these proposals. Right. So that's a 30-year time frame. The next year or two look a little bit difficult on that front, though, fair to say, just given the expectations for Republicans to maintain control of the Senate. Of course, that's that's pending the outcome of the two races in Georgia. But but just given history there and recent polling, it, it would at least suggest that Republicans will retain control of the Senate. And if that's the case, the next couple of years could be pretty difficult on the legislative front. Uh, am I right? I think that's absolutely fair to say, Kevin. You know, as, as you mentioned, in all likelihood, we are looking at a divided Congress so any transformational legislation, I think, is, is pretty likely to be, to be dead on arrival, particularly mm-hmm. if it relates to issues of energy and climate, which, for whatever reason, still seem to be a, a highly politically polarized issue in this country. Mm-hmm. However, there's still a lot that Biden can do sort of bypassing Congress through executive action. And that's sort of been the trend, as we've seen First in the Obama administration, who also had to deal with a stubborn and divided Congress, you know, most of Obama's, you know, signature climate initiatives were done through executive action on issues such as vehicle fuel efficiency standards, methane emissions from the oil and gas sector, and efforts to reduce emissions from the power sector as well, such as through the clean power plan. Then conversely, when Trump took power, he sought to undo and roll back a lot of these executive actions with varying degrees of success. Uh, And again, we're talking about measures related to methane emissions, CO2 emissions from the power sector, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. I think we will see Biden reinstate and strengthen a lot of these measures, particularly um, on on those issues relating to to CO2 and, and methane emissions. And I think we could also see a more difficult environment for infrastructure projects that were already facing their, their troubles. I'm talking about oil and gas pipeline projects in, in particular, such as Keystone XL, Dakota Access, mm-hmm. and the Enbridge right. Line 3 replacement. I think that's, that's what we're looking at here. So now you've hit on the, a lot of this already, speaking of, of, of the pipeline and uh, taxes before that, but... Uh, are there some universal concerns that that uh, oil and gas executives have about uh, Democrat president period or Biden in particular, or is it more just the the expectation of a return to the Obama Biden years? It's interesting. You know, I think the answer to that question depends on which companies you're talking to and from which segment of the industry. I think we've seen some of the you know the super majors, particularly the European ones, 
have taken a much friendlier view towards facilitating the the energy transition and playing an active role within that. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen a bit more resistance from some of the lower 48 onshore independents. But I should note, even in even in that segment in the lower 48 onshore, they at least say that they that they want to reduce methane emissions and reduce their overall carbon footprint. But nonetheless, they they seem to see a lot of these regulations on emissions. For example, methane is one that comes to mind as as being redundant or unnecessary because they say that they're already making efforts to do this themselves. So I think it depends on which segment of the energy industry you're, you're talking about. Sure. And if you're talking about redundant costs, now would be a, a good time for companies pretty much across the board to be wary of that. I, uh, it's fair to say, I assume. But uh, if you're taking a look at, at where there is some common ground, uh, does Biden and some of, the, of the, the initiatives he's proposed on the campaign trail, does he garner any wholesale support anywhere? Well, I think... Industry groups have signaled that they are willing to work with the Biden administration. And it's interesting when you listen to executives from some of these oil and gas companies, they make the point that, you know, if we really want to be serious about the energy transition and and reducing our carbon footprint, natural gas is going to have to play a major role within that. Mm -hmm. They point out correctly that natural gas is the main reason why CO2 emissions from the power sector in this country have come down in recent years. And I think industry has responded positively to to indications from Biden and Kamala Harris that they will not pursue, for example, a ban on hydraulic fracturing. There had been some uncertainty around their position on that. But in the last Mm -hmm. few debates, they, they made clear that that's not what they're pursuing. On the other hand, of course, you can make the argument that they are pursuing that via uh, uh, the federal drilling ban. But I think think there is room for for industry to have a collaborative, constructive relationship with with this administration. But I guess that remains to be seen. So uh, obviously the the big backdrop for pretty much the entire economy is this is the coronavirus pandemic and the, the resurgence of cases here and and in export destinations for natural gas, including much of Europe. To what degree do you see the pandemic weighing uh, or functioning as a cloud over the Biden administration in, you know, over the next six, first six months of his administration? Well, there's no doubt, I think, that it's going to be consuming most of their time and efforts. And the coronavirus, as you know, is, a, is an all-encompassing theme with major impacts for all segments of the economy not least of which energy. Mm-hmm. We have seen some recovery in the outlook for LNG exports, particularly to regions such as Asia, where they seem to have the spread of the virus relatively under control compared to mm-hmm. regions such as ours. And so as, you know, again, I, th- I think that the virus will take up a major portion of the administration's energy, but I think I think they'll be able to, to walk and chew gum because the issues of climate change and the environment have, have taken on a much more prominent role in the national discourse, even just in the last few years, and certainly more so than they than they did during the previous campaign. And as I say, the two issues are are interconnected. So they will they will have a lot on their plate, that's for sure. Well great. 
Uh, Andrew, excellent discussion. Uh, appreciate the time and, and the, uh, the input. With that, I want to conclude by noting that NGI presents this podcast to help our subscribers make more informed business decisions about markets and the developments and news that drive them. To read our full election coverage and our ongoing post-election coverage, please visit and subscribe at NGI at naturalgasintelligence.com. Thanks again, Andrew, and thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Kevin.